Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. So today we're in Genesis 3, but before we get started in the readings, let's go ahead and just open with prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for taking care of us. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us, giving us insights. And I submit to your insights now, Father. I just pray that anything that I have to say that I think about would just be removed and that it would be your message, it'd be your words, and that you would say the perfect thing for each person to hear. I pray you'd be honored and glorified and that we would grow closer to you through this reading and this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So verse 3 is, or chapter 3 is fairly short in terms of number of verses, but it has a lot of different information in it. As a result, I'm going to try to read some of um, both Spurgeon and Tozer because they have a lot to say on it. In fact, Spurgeon had numerous, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 10 different sermons on it. And, And Tozer had multiple sections and writings about it. So let's go ahead and just get started. Verse one. Now the serpent, who was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he doesn't immediately attack God. He just brings doubt. Pretty typical way that he attacks me. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but did but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So she changed a little bit of what God had actually said. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the base, from my understanding, what I've read in the past is most religions talk about you becoming God-like or like God or a God um, versus the Christian religion and belief system, the um, Islam, and also Judaism. Those three believe in one God and only one God. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So he was, Adam was standing right there as this conversation with the, with the Satan and the, the serpent is, is being had. He didn't step in to help and he didn't refute what was said. He was just watching and standing there. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? As if he didn't know, right? He knew where he was at. He knows everything. He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He wasn't naked any longer. He had the fig leaves, right? And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. 
So immediately he tries to throw God. He tries to blame God. Hey, that woman you made. And then he throws her under the bus, under the bus saying, hey, she gave it to me. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Hey, it's not my fault. I'm just, I'm just an ignorant person. I was tricked. So the Lord God said to the serpent. Now, aren't those, don't those remind you of people today? I mean, nothing's changed historically. People are the same. Just maybe our tech, you know, our technology is a little bit different. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, before they were peers, basically, it looked like. They were standing there and then he's like, okay, hey, the man is the head of the household. I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's great or not. Anyways, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful to- toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since you, Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So, there's interesting elements here. God talks about himself as multiple. So, that's the, the God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And even though man sinned, he still clothed them. He still took care of them. But he gave each person, he gave each of the participants a re- uh, consequence. Satan, this, the serpent, is going to be in the ground. Obviously, it would indicate then that he wasn't crawling. It wasn't a typical snake at the time. And then, but now he, is, you know, now he condemned snakes to the ground. Eve painful childbirth and Adam men yeah I'll have to, we have to work hard to, for a living we have to work the ground the, the soil just to eat and most of what we do and produce is going to be thorns and issues with that like that so really the results are pretty significant but let's read what the uh, what say Tozer had to say initially here He focused on verse 1, which is, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? Tozer writes, Satan's first attack upon the human race was his sly effort to destroy Eve's confidence 
in the kindness of God. Unfortunately for her and for us, he succeeded too well. From that day, men have had a false conception of God, and it is exactly this that has cut out, cut out from under them the ground of righteousness and driven them to reckless and destructive living. So it's our, he's saying our false understanding and perception of God, which, he, which is true. He said, did he really say that? And then what, what again, I find interesting is, is Adam was right there. It wasn't just Eve being deceived. It was Adam too, or Adam just not paying attention, which I could understand. He's probably got a hot wife standing next to him. She's got no clothes on, but at the same time, he's not, he's, he can't slip, you know, blame. And he, you know, he's can't sit there and say, Oh, I wasn't there. Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy conception of God. Certain sects, such as the Pharisees, while they held that God was stern and astir, yet managed to maintain a fairly high level of external morality, for their righteousness was only outward. Inwardly, they were whitewashed tombs, as our Lord God, or as our Lord Himself told them. Their wrong conception of God resulted in a wrong idea of worship. To a Pharisee, the service of God was a bondage which he did not love, but from which he could not escape without a loss too great to bear. The God of the Pharisee was not a God easy to live with, so his religion became grim and hard and loveless. It had to be so, for our notion of God must always determine the quality of our religion. Think about, you know, all the do's and don'ts, 600, I believe, 18 rules that they could or couldn't do. It wasn't based upon just worshiping God. It was based upon efforts, not doing things. The Islam is like that. You know, they have to pray five times a day. They have to do this. They have to do that. It's the same thing. It's a wrong image and understanding of God. Much of Christianity since the days of Christ's flesh has also been grim and severe, and the, and the cause has been the same, an unworthy and inadequate view of God. Instinctively, we try to be like our God, and if he is conceived to be stern and exacting, so will we ourselves be. So if we see him wrong, if we see him as this mean and tough God, we're going to try to be the same, right? From a failure pro- from a failure properly to understand God comes a world of unhappiness among good Christians even today. The Christian life is thought to be a glum, unrelieved, cross-carrying under the eye of a stern father who expects much and excuses nothing. He's austere, peevish, highly, highly temperamental, and extremely hard to please. The kind of life which springs out of such a libelous nation, notions of necessity must of necessity be a, but a parody on the true life of Christ. So when all you think is a, that God is a glum taskmaster where you always are carrying your cross, the life that you're going to have from that, that perception is not even close to what the true life in Christ is. It is most important to our spiritual well-being that we hold in our minds always a right conception of God. If we think of him as cold and exacting, we shall find it impossible to love him, and our lives will be ridden with servile fear. If, again, we hold him to be kind and understanding, our whole inner life will mirror that idea. Think about it. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They fellowshiped together. They hung out together, and they talked together. The truth is that God is the most winsome of all beings, and his service, and his service one of unspeakable pleasure. He is all love, and those who trust him need never know anything but that love. He is just indeed, and he will not condone sin. But through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
he is able to act towards us exactly as if we had never sinned. Toward the trusting sons of men, his mercy will always triumph over justice. So even though we've sinned, he'll treat us as if we never have because we have the blood of Christ. So it's that relationship where we can walk next to him. We can talk to him just as Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. He wants to. He built us for that. And so it's a matter of understanding he's nothing but love that we can fellowship with him. We don't have to do this and do that and not do this and not do that. We don't have to be, you know, sad on given days and act, act all put out instead. We can actually just understand he loves us and rest in that knowledge and fellowship with him. So to another perception or concept that is out, comes out of um, this chapter, we have what Spurgeon says. He writes about the entire chapter. He writes, The modes of Satan's attacks, then, as you will speedily learn, if you have not already done so, betray his subtlety. Sons of ah, sons of men, while you are putting on your helmets, he is seeking to thrust his fiery sword into your heart, meaning the armor of God. As you're putting on your helmet, he's trying to stab you in your heart. Or while you are looking well to your breastplate, he is lifting up his battle axe to split your skull. And while you are seeing to both helmet and breastplate, he is seeking to rip up your trip up your feet. He is always watching to see where you are not looking. He is always on the alert when you are slumbering. Take heed of, to yourselves, therefore. Put on the whole armor of God. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom, him, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith? And God help you prevail over him. So he reminds us that Satan is prowling about. He is trying to trip us up. So always have your, the full armor of God on, which gets, brings us back to Ephesians 6 that we just read. And so it's having that armor of God, having the right perception of who God is, that really helps us understand the relationship we have in God. These two, peop- these two leaders of the church really have that understanding and are trying to get it through to me i'm trying to understand focus on god and his love not what i have to do and what i can't do instead focus on his love rest in his love quit trying to put together a process if i do this this and this if i say these things if when i pray i say this and i talk about my spirit and blah blah blah. instead if i rest in god then and focus on his that the fact that he loves me regardless of all my flaws that is truly what needs to be done and to make sure that as i'm doing that uh, that i'm vigilant and, and sober of mind and vigilant because knowing that satan is trying to trip me up so that's what this reading on a daily basis for me is about is growing closer and staying vigilant because it's when i'm doing that that i stand the greatest opportunity to fellowship with God and to focus on his love. It's when I don't, that I don't succeed as well and that I'm not as happy. I'm not in a good, as good of a place. And today was a perfect example. I started my day off not with prayer, not with the, the uh, listening to music. Instead, I grabbed a cup of coffee and turned on the TV. And now halfway through my day, I'm sitting here just now putting out the podcast my mind was screwed up. I was listening to the news. I was listening to the, the investment reports and whatnot, just because, you know, business news, hearing what Greenspan had to say, not Greenspan, 
wow, I'm old. Um, what the, the Fed chairman had to say about interest rates and everything else. And yeah, that's where I was. And so then it took forever to bring my head into a good place today. That was my mistake, was waking up and not praying right off the bat, but going into the world. And I didn't have my armor on. I didn't have my breastplate, my helmet, my, my sword, my, my shield. I didn't have anything. And the result was failure. It took so long to get back in a right frame of mind. So with that, I'm going to just close this with prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact you love us and that we can walk beside you because you're right here. You're omnipresent. We just have to understand that. And that understanding and that you want to fellowship with us and that you are here beside us, ready to talk to us, to support us, to love us, only occurs when we understand that. And I just pray as we read, Father, that we grow closer to you, that we will truly feel your love, that we will feel your presence, and that we will fellowship with you each and every day. Father, I lift up this time. I lift up this weekend. I pray, Father, that you would be the one that we live for, that we would bring you honor and glory. I pray for our nation. I lift up them, the nation, our leaders. I lift up all the angry people, and there's so many. And I just pray that, A, I wouldn't be one of them, but that you would touch their hearts, all of our hearts, and that, that dissipate that anger from our leaders and all of the population because right now people are just angry. They're angry at everything and nothing. So Father, I lift up this nation. I just pray that you would be the one that we turn to. I pray that we would hear your words and that we would forget the foolishness and that we would truly understand what's important. I thank you for all that you've done. I pray for our families and I lift them up and pray that you would be performing mighty works in them and that you would watch over our children, watch over our friends, and help them to understand that you are the one that we need to live for. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.